0: To the CBGS podcast, brought to you by Aspen Waits. Hello, Paul. Hello, Drew. Drew's standing far too close to me I today; know. it's very unnerving. We're sharing a microphone. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got a, um, we've got a lovely episode for you today. Me and Paul are both very me interested. Me and Paul. Me and Paul. <laughs> me and Paul <laughs> Who's he? are here to shoot the breeze with you oh, okay. about um, about music, and I, and I believe it's all sixties music, isn't it, Paul? That's what you said. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> And um, yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna be uh, talking about tour some, in the '60s. Tour in the '60s. Paul's picked four songs that um, are dear to his heart, and we're gonna um, we're gonna see why, and we're gonna hear them, and you get a bit of our opinion. So we hope you enjoy. Yes, yeah, so basically, um, I, I, I would have to say that, uh, being being
1: around in the '60s must have been uh, awesome. Probably even better than being. Uh, Sixteen when punk came out like i was which was also very very awesome i have to say um i think the 60s music uh possibly on any evaluation of music uh in my opinion would win best decade that's something i thought we could do mm. uh perhaps have a vote on that but so my contention is that 60s music is by far the best uh of all the decades uh by by a, by a country mile actually um uh Obviously, I was um, I was born at the start of the sixties, and uh, I very much am a Beatles man. Mm. Uh, so uh, I think Lennon McCartney would have to be considered to be the the best songwriters of all time, certainly in the pop pop field. And uh, in fact, the first record that my mother ever bought for me. Uh, was a Beatles composition called uh, "Do You Want, Want to Know a Secret," which was uh, <laughs> covered by Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas, and was number one hit for them. Oh, okay. So obviously, one of the one of the things the Beatles did is, um, well, not not always charitably, but um, because because they had such a a wonderful armory of songs. Um, you had people like Marmalade, Billy J. Kramer, and later, of course, um, people like the Carpenters. Miss, Miss, Mr. Postman mm, which is a Beatles song did you know that? Mm, oh yeah wait a minute Mr. Mr. Postman No. Oh, uh, <laughs> um, so uh, you know there have been a lot of number one hits for other artists
0: uh, but the song was obviously written by Lennon and McCartney were, but, were there were there um, many more um, English bands that had made it as not as much as the Beatles obviously but like they really took England on the map as well oh no I mean one, one thing we might
1: one, one thing we might want to do a uh, a, a, a podcast on is what's called the English, uh, the English invasion of America. Mm. So in um, 1963, the Beatles led the English invasion to America, and I, I can't remember the exact statistics, but
0: uh, an invasion through music.
1: Yeah, this is this is true. This um, the only the only successful American rock band that wasn't blown away, and I mean that blown away, blown into oblivion by the English invasion was the Beach Boys who survived Mm. intact.
2: Mm. Who we played last
1: week. Yeah, in fact, and and I'm not playing uh, the Beach Boys today for that reason, so uh, Get Around would have been one of my top four tracks of the Mm. 60s. I've also decided not to play any Beatles music because one of the things we're trying to do is to educate and get people to listen to songs that they wouldn't perhaps necessarily know so well. So, um... Just to be clear, so today I'm not playing any song we've, we've played before. So I would have played also "Happy Together" by the Turtles, for instance. Oh yeah, we've had that. Which is before. so we're, we're we're not doing that. So I think the '60s was uh yeah, Anyway, go back to Drew's point. So uh, people like the Dave Clark Five. Familiar then? Nope. Glad all over. Yes, I'm glad all over, and I feel fine. No. Nope. <laughs> um, so. Uh, there were there were masses of English bands, uh, so uh, probably twenty twenty English bands would have been in the top twenty in the American charts at some mm-hmm. point. You know, mm. so it wasn't just it wasn't just the Beatles. It was lots of of other people that um, started the. Wave. And of course, what was good about that is is it's amazing. Um, and we'll, we'll come on to that one today. So a, a number of. Um, a number of people in bands that were very influential in the '60s went on to live in the United States mm. and/or become members of legendary bands, mm. um, like be- Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Mm. So Nash uh, was in the Hollies.
2: Mm.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> and
0: it and Crosby, it, I- Nash, Stills, and Young. You know, so Neil Young. You know, mm. Yeah. So you know, incredibly. Um, It'd be interesting to see, uh, like, what if, what the UK, what the record labels and things were like, if they all signed to American record labels, or or we, or we kept it kind of in house in the UK, and what that would have been like for the economy and stuff. Like that would have brought in a lot of, uh, <laughs> uh, you know. Well, well um, this music. So um, I think,
1: um, well, the Beatles were obviously signed to a UK record label, weren't mm, they?
2: I'm
1: mm. um, Not sure. I'll Have so, to look that up. Well, they were they were oh, summer, yeah. 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 Well, I know they were because I know the manager was everything So, oh. <laughs> um, as was Cilla Black I know Lex had the same manager oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, nice. I think most of the Liverpool bands were all with the same record label and manager you know uh, so yeah I mean I think um, music was already transatlantic to some extent and people were starting to appear on international labels and or would be on different labels depending on where the where the single was being sold. Mm. So, um, if you if you just if you think about it, 1960 when I was born was only 15 years after the end of the Second World War, which is which is a bit scary. Um, my father, for instance, had to do national service, um, and he's told me some very interesting stories about that. When you think that there's um, all the sort of music that had existed prior to. Uh, the rock explosion in the 60s. And if it wasn't for people like Bill Haley and the Comets, um, and... Um, I've got his name now. Um, uh, What's his name? Chuck Berry. People like Chuck Berry. Um, a lot of black, black artists, you know, bringing... Um, Proper proper rock and roll, uh, often sort of taken from from old um, R and B roots, black music roots, um, and sort of updated to the current day. The Beatles, for instance, were were, were really into blues, mm. so uh, their 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 musical inspiration was very much that sort of music R and B. You know, mm. so um, the first record we're going to play today is uh, a record called "Be My Baby" by the Ronettes. This was, as far as I'm aware, the first Phil Spector record. He he actually wrote this song with two other legendary greats, and I'm not going to say who they are because I might have got it wrong. So mm. uh, I'm tempted to say it was Dozier and Chapman, but uh, uh, I'm not I'm not certain of my facts. But whoever it was, they 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 are um, you know multi uh, multi songwriting geniuses. So uh, Phil Spector uh, co-wrote this song, but he he produced it and. Um, it's very important, that, because Phil, the Phil Spector sound is legendary. So anyone who doesn't know about Phil Spector needs to. Uh, the Phil Spector Christmas album is, by a country mile, the best Christmas album ever by so much, by Light Years. Oh, nice. Um, the production is... Uh, one of the things I'm very interested for Drew to see is Phil Spector's production was just so... Wonderful, even now, I think if it came out, people would be blown away. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the reasons I picked this song is it, 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 it's probably not one of my four favorite songs of the 60s, although I do like all of Phil Spector's music. The reason I, I, I chose these songs as well was because I, because I wanted to tell a story, you know, I wanted to, to talk about songs that, that meant something mm-hmm. either to me or were very influential. So, um Be My Baby by the Ronettes is considered to be one of the most influential songs of all time. Not by me, but by Mm. uh, recognised music authorities and, you know. uh, And for instance, when um, Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys first heard... Uh, be my baby. He he actually was so blown away and overcome, he had to stop his car. <laughs> uh, and it's actually quite interesting. He played he played he got hold of this track and he played it like 112 times in two days. <laughs> wow! Because he just couldn't get over how brilliant it was. It was just mm. like nothing he'd ever heard. And he said he's probably mostly, you know, says even to this day that this song influenced him more than any other piece of music he ever heard. So it's a pretty pretty big accolade. Old
0: statement. Mm-hmm.
1: The Renettes themselves were uh, three Puerto Rican girls. Um, I can't remember. Ah, you've played this song by them before on the podcast, actually. Have we? You? I think so. Oh dear, that's bad. Uh, no. So, I think, no, I think we played a Christmas, one of the Christmas ones. Yeah. Then He Kissed Me or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've, I've, forgotten the, I've forgotten the name of the, the lead singer, whose name was Renette. So that's mm. what like they were called the Renettes, because the lead singer was called Renette. Uh, and I believe she um, became married to Phil Spector um, soon after. So were these like the first De- Destiny's Child? Well, perhaps, with, <laughs> three, perhaps three. with a bit of talent. but yeah. uh, <laughs> let's, let's, let's not go there, right? Um, so um be interesting to see uh, what Drew makes of this when he listens to it critically. So uh, a good fun song, uh, Be My Baby by the Renettes, issued in 1963, and a timeless classic. Enjoy.
0: So why are we making it up then, Drew? Sorry. Wow, what a beautiful song! So the t- two things that stuck out for me um, is the it w- was was the rhythms, you know, like the, right. the castanets. You say they're from Puerto Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico. Yeah. Puerto Rico. Yeah, it's like it's like almost introducing that um, that kind of like. The the, the the rhythms like the the, the castanets. I think it's called it? the walled sound. Yeah, that like. Um, Specter sound. It's called the I, I wonder sound. how much more of that kind of thing would have been music at the time. That, that maybe that was quite a new new thing, and also um, very very like haunting. It's like a love song, but um, it's quite a minor melody. Like it's quite a minor yeah. in a minor key. So it's up, it's uplifting like a love song, but it was very like haunting and mysterious. I thought as well with the voices, which was pretty cool. Nice. <laughs>
1: Uh, no, seriously no, it's, it's, it's always interesting To hear what you've got to say mm-hmm. I think obviously She's got a very um, Distinctive voice mm. One of the things I was thinking Actually listening to it Sort of more critically Rather than just you know Singing along Like I would in a car mm-hmm. Was um, it also sounded A bit like a Christmas record mm. what Do you think, think? Mm. Something about it You know
0: yeah, was that's because I associate the Phil Spector sound with Christmas. Yeah, it had you know? like um like strings in the background and yeah. like brass, which was quite like. Well, it's called jubilant. the walled sound. So it was the first record where you had layers of sound. Oh, walled sound. I thought you said walt sound. The walls. Wow. Walled. Oh, right. Okay. Because it was like a. T- yeah. <laughs> the
1: Phil Spector basically launched what was called the walled sound. So, yeah, so it was the first time people had layered things mm, together. You know.
0: Mm, no. Yeah. Well, it had a lot going on. And that's
1: why Wilson was so blown away by it as a. Yeah. Obviously as
0: a. Yeah, very simple haunting melody, but with just like with like loads of things in the in the background. So there we are. So um, that's that's
1: our first choice today. So the next song I picked um, is, is is a little bit of a cheat in a way, but I picked it because of the memories and the significance to me as a person. The Reason it's a bit of a cheat is um, although the song uh, was a big hit in 1968, I think it was. Um, and re-released as a as another big hit in 1975. Uh, the reason why um, it's important to me is uh, for a very long time. Every Sunday, every Sunday morning, uh, my dad and I would go to the uh, Cottage Inn at the top of Wimbledon Hill on Sundays, which was the only time of the week we ever drank in the cottage in, all the other days being the Quantock Gateway. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, and so on Sunday, uh, we'd go up to the cottage, and I, I think, um, so those of you know, I'm afraid I used to have a dubious card-playing background. Um, so on Sundays, we had a, a, a more sociable game of dominoes for money. All right. Uh and uh, basically the routine consisted of getting into dad's car driving the three quarters of a mile up the top of Wendland hill leaving the car there um and then i used to play bar billiards for about 15 minutes which is a great game if you don't have ever played it mm. Um, it was the only pub that had a bar billiards table oh, that I, wow. I could think of And it was such a great game You play it on your own
2: mm. It's
1: just a fantastic game uh, So I used to play bar billiards on my own for a bit And while I was playing bar billiards I used to play two songs And I think many people are starting to work out That I'm a bit of a creature of habit Or <laughs> that's been charitable Or you could say I was a bit OCD or even a bit dull So uh, because because of all these things Every week, and we are meaning every week now, I used to play the same two songs on the jukebox. The same two songs on the jukebox. Movie Game of billiards. One was was by Steve Miller, uh, the Steve Miller band, uh, and the other was Ichiku Park by The Small Faces, um, which was probably marginally my favourite song. So um, when I was thinking about... uh, So one of the things that Drew and I are doing is we're going to put together... Uh, a compilation album. I discussed it with Mark Kerry when I was at Kent on Monday as well, and he's got some thoughts on uh, how to make this really good. Uh, mm-hmm. So I've picked so like 14 or 15 tracks of the 60s that I considered to be particularly excellent. Again, same criteria as I was saying earlier. There's no Beatles songs or or, or, or uh, Rolling Stones. And uh, it wasn't difficult to, uh, having sort of accessed the memory banks to um, include Ichiku Park on that list. So, um, Ichiku Park, I think, is a again is a unique song actually, th- and again, when it's drew a this unique was name,
0: to... Ichiku Park. <laughs>
1: well, actually, there is there is no official uh, there is no official um, story about why um, the record is called Ichiku Park. There are there are two theories which which are put on YouTube. That you can read on, on on Google, which you can read about. But, um... Can you tell us about those? No. No? No, if I did, I'd tell you. Oh. No, I know. One of them is something to do with the nettle... Some, something in South London or something. Ah, okay. Some area. <laughs> uh, and, and I think uh, there's... there's the, so, I think this is the, the favoured thing. That the itchy thing is something about being stung by nettles. Oh, okay. Or some sort of joke on that to, mm. to do with the name of the place. Mm. Um, itchy, yeah. To, to, that's, yeah. So, um yeah sorry sorry Dr. i let you down there but uh, <laughs> no, I, I did i did actually do a bit of reading about it but there's no the, the, the band have never actually said no you're wrong this is this is actually why it's it's called what it's called um again it's um it's the first song that um that had a certain um again overlaying technique which um you being much more musical than me you'll probably listen to during a uh, so uh the the single was actually not just uh, a recording of the playing, you know, there was actually um uh, tapes introduced into it, yeah, mm-hmm. a lot more production, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But it was the first record of its of its kind that had a certain thing going on, which you'll probably pick up in the record. Small faces themselves were formed in nineteen sixty five London band with iconic members, uh uh lead singer uh Steve Marriott, um considered to be probably one of the best lead singers of all time Uh, and uh, a guy I've always loved because of his uh, cheeky cheeky little face um he looks a little bit like nicky c like a like a grown-up nicky c uh mm-hmm. guy called ronnie lane who's uh, really again you know right at hall of legend musician you know mm-hmm. and he's always he, he, something about the way he looks always appeals to me you know mm-hmm. i just think it's the way that certain people play their guitars and that they just really draw, grab your imagination uh and they had kenny jones on the drums who went on to become the drummer of the who oh wow. after um, keith moon Keith Moon died Mm. Um, and we'll talk about some of the history of um, the Small Faces later on so Small Faces formed in 1965 Um, they were only together originally for about four years but what they achieved in four years was um was amazing i mean apart from Q park probably their um their most famous song would be lazy Sunday afternoon oh yeah no time to worry the uh, other Oh no i was thinking of something else actually I was thinking, yeah, it's quite an iconic song that um so uh one of the one of the things is interesting because when i listen to the small faces i consider them to be quite an influential rock group but at the time uh they were very much considered to be a pop group which upset Steve Marriott the the lead singer and inspiration very much and that's what actually led to the breakup of the band in 1969 Ah. and again if you like one of the reasons I I picked this as well is because anybody who is listening to this who likes music uh, Marriott went on to form a a band called Humble Pie with Peter Frampton.
2: Mm.
1: Uh, Peter Frampton of course went on to become huge in the states i mean massive you know uh it's it's difficult to overstate how big peter Frampton was um so it's interesting how these different musicians join up um and before we come back to which you could park itself uh when when marriott left uh the small faces in 1969 um the band replaced him with rod stewart rod stewart became the lead singer of the faces Mm. with um ronnie wood of mm. the Rolling Stones now mm. so, so you can see that and, 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 and apart from in America they then changed their name to The Faces you might have heard of but Faces again a hugely influential band mm. so The Faces were in fact the successor band The Small Faces
2: oh. with all the
1: members continuing other than the lead singer Steve Merritt, who was replaced by Rob Stewart mm. so if you like you could almost say that The Faces was a super group you know mm. um, so yeah a lot of, lot, of, lot of good rock history there um, I think uh, the small faces. I like. I like their sort of. Um, they were probably the leading mod bands at the time. And I've always been a mod, not a rocker. Although I do love love rock music. My mum and dad, on the other hand, were very much rockers. I would say i've always loved the mod look so right from an early age i've always liked to be dapper as i'm called now so you pull your dapper so i've always liked me orange trousers and me me school tie and me blazer you know i think that's a nice look so I always huge and and i think the 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 small faces epitomize the the whole mod feel and just the way that they look and they play their guitars was such fun and it's just really good very sad really um uh, cheeky, chappy Ronnie Lane uh, went on to get multiple sclerosis and died at home 20, after 20 years of fighting. Uh, well, the condition, I suppose it is, um, in 1993. And Steve Marrott himself um, was killed in a uh, fire in his home. Oh, wow. Caused by a cigarette he didn't put out properly. Mm. Um, again, um, at a very early age. And In fact, the guy that came on to be their keyboard player... Died of a heroin overdose when he was 26. So, quite a sad. Mm. So, apart from obviously Rod Stewart and uh, Rolly Wood, who got gone on to be very, very, very famous, uh, most of the original members of um, Small Faces died tragically young, which seems to be often the way with brilliant people, mm. doesn't it? So, um, what I, I don't know. What I like about this song is, is it's. I don't think it's like any other song you'll ever hear. Is something. Um, really brilliant about it so um it was uh, a top three hit in the in, in the uk um in 1968 and it was re-released in 1975 and again charted very high i can't top five for sure um less successful in the states but i think it charted so this is this is um uh what i consider an iconic song called ichiku park by the small faces enjoy
2: Sides, to rest my eyes in shades of green Under dreaming spots To Ichiku Park, that's where I've been What did you do there? I got high What did you feel there? When I cried I the tears there Tell you why It's all too beautiful Oh
0: Well, that was all too beautiful. <laughs> very beautiful, wasn't it? it was very beautiful. It had a little bit of everything. I think that one. It was, it was like, rocking. It yeah. had the the high like kind of. I can see that rock thing, but then very simple and a, and a, and a nice melody. Just uh, quite a simple song. Catchy, catchy. Yeah, that's it. And the production. I can see what you mean. That like they were trying new things. Like you, um, you heard a, a phase effect on, yeah. on on the psychedelic part. What mm-hmm. you said when the when the. Um, the melody goes down and mm. their english voices come out I love, that. I love the fact you focus on that that's very interesting yeah yeah that was um really enjoyed it
1: good stuff yeah groundbreaking breaking record so uh yeah god bless your small faces so uh, for all the happy memories you gave a young paul mm. so moving on now um this wasn't uh, a difficult choice really um I think, in many respects, this song could be argued to be the definitive pop song. Pop song, even. Pop song. I'm <laughs> not, sure well. not quite sure what song that is. Um, so it's, it's a song called Everlasting Love, which um, I believe has been covered more than any other mm. record uh, in history. Wow. And some facts for you. is the only uh, record to have charted in the UK in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s and zeros, noughties is it called, isn't it? Wow. And in America, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Mm, so, it's not
0: the noughties.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's quite something, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the song was um, actually uh, written by some American songwriters and uh, written for a guy called Robert Knight, who uh, was a country-western sort of style singer, I believe. Um, and so he issued the record first, and it became a hit in the US without being sort of a spectacular hit and was also uh released in the UK uh by him and charted um i'm not quite sure uh, uh, at that time um love affair who uh, who are um basically associated with everlasting love now because of the basically i think the great singing of steve ellis the lead singer and the wonderful production uh of the record to sort of totally uh, rockizing, you know, popizing izing of, of a more standard sort of country and western R&B type song and making it into the definitive pop record I would say mm. um, I think, you know for, I, I, I particularly love the opening bass line mm. boom, 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 boom. it was actually written intentionally to sound like a Tamla song I believe Mm. So it'd be interesting to see whether you um, whether you think it sounds a bit like a Motown song. I think it, I think it does. Boom, 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 sort of thing. Um, so, um, so we see
0: the first uh, one who covered it?
1: Um, yes, yeah, so Robert, Robert Knight, uh, And then uh, the manager of um, uh, Love Affair, who um, I don't know the prehistory too much of um, this band, other than Steve Ellis is considered to be probably one of the best lead singers of all time,
2: mm.
1: uh, and his it's his really it's his his wonderful singing of this song which i think um lasts in the memory really and is and is to me will will forever be associated with this song regardless of whether it's really his song or not
2: uh
1: love affair uh, so this this song covered by the love affair soon overtook robert knight's version and uh, was number one in the uk for quite some time uh, and was also a hit in in the in the u.s and in fact, various other countries. I looked up this morning, it was the fact it was number one in Malaysia. Oh, right. Do <laughs> you believe? Number six in Norway. Mm-hmm. Um, so, charted in Holland, Poland, Germany, France, New Zealand, Australia, America, huh. amongst, amongst others. So, it's, uh, so uh, quite, quite interesting, this. So, I um, say so Steve Ellis himself is, um, is, is sort of. Not obviously a name that probably um, many of you will automatically sort of think, oh, yeah, Steve Ellis, I know who he is. But um, in, inside inside the sort of circles of music, he is, he is considered to be, again, another, another great, I would suggest. Uh, amazing voice. And I remember watching this video with Drew recently. I think the thing that always strikes me when I watch this video is just how young he is. Mm. Because it, it looks like a baby, you know, and um, it looks like a 17-year-old singing this song with the aplomb and the maturity of voice of a much older man i don't mm. know whether you do that mm. quite staggering it's almost like a you know, I, I can't take it in every time i watch it i think it's a disconnect <laughs> Hey, well what's that what's that little boy doing yeah. singing this song you know this, 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 this is something quite odd here i just love everything about the way they go about this um they're going up, you know so they 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 i think they had about 10 hits uh love affair uh none obviously ever matched this one uh, I think they got probably about to number six was something like that you know, would be their, their next best hit um and um so they you know they were they were um a band that 's associated with one of the great songs of all time and, and 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 had you know reasonably good success over over a period The song itself has, has has obviously outlived them um has been as i say been covered multiple to hundreds and hundreds of times um Including by Jamie Cullum, who charted, I think, number twenty in the UK, in the US Billboard um, in two thousand. So that's how the. So, um, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a song that um, can be sung in a number of different ways. Uh, obviously, just Jamie Cullum obviously sings in a much more mm. beautifully, sort of um, ballady, sort of way. So uh, my next choice um, is uh, almost one of the definitive... If you took the Beatles out of it, I I would put this forward as perhaps the definitive song of the 60s, but I'll let other people uh, argue with me over that one. Mm. So we have Everlasting Love by Love Affair.
0: Jubilant, jubilant. What does that mean? Jubilant, rocking, uplifting. Yes, I, like the, yeah, I think uplifting is a good word. Yeah, like the the, the production on it is very very rocking and driving. So I'd be interested to hear the original like the country one because I can yeah. imagine it was a lot more a lot softer. Oh. So very strong songwriting, but they've really took it and blasted it upwards. It it seemed like with that Mostly put some <laughs> very, very nice. Yeah, good stuff. <laughs> good. Um, So uh, the
1: final track today, um, I guess it was quite a very very hard thing to do to take such a a wonderful um, uh, decade like the 60s. I've actually uh, been listening to a lot of 60s music recently uh, because obviously um, uh, I've never really... uh, Visited or revisited the '60s from the point of view of being a more mature, or or maybe in one case less immature, <laughs> slightly less immature adults. <laughs> um, so I've really enjoyed, particularly um, probably the American bands that I wasn't so familiar with at the time. Mm. Um, you know, so uh, yeah, been really listening to um, a lot of sort of East Coast '60s stuff recently, and really, really appreciating it. Uh, and I think one of the things that makes me a little bit sad, actually, as somebody who loves music so much, is is why, in an age of wonderful technology and much, you know, greatly improved production techniques, is it that great songwriting seems to have died? To me, you know, why why can't people produce songs that we all want to sing along to anymore? Mm. You know, there just seems to be a certain. Um, may I say I don't agree, agree with this most of the this is to me anyway as a 59 year old man most of the uh, solo acts today um, seem to be writing up themselves they, they, mm. they, they appear to be singing for themselves rather than for the audience it's like oh, mm. like Mariah Carey would be a great example mm. You know, it's like, look at me. Listen to me. I'm a really good
0: singer, rather than I'm entertaining you. You know, yeah. You I've, I've, got, I've got a theory on that, mm-hmm. and I think when you look at 60s music and and the really early stuff, it was all about um, the atmosphere that the the bands were creating for people to sing live. Like like when they were oh, okay. playing these live shows, like people were. I know it was the records and everything, but it was about dancing. Like I spoke to my nan about it, and she said it was never drinking when they were younger. They would all go out to these discos and things mm-hmm. to dance. Yep. But now, if we go and watch bands, we go to kind of watch, and it's not got that atmosphere of of dancing and... and, yeah, and perhaps, you know. Yeah, yes. And, like, I, I think the songs had to make people move back then, but not so much now.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's, that's well put. So, um... Yeah, so I think, as I say, what I what I what I tried to do today, um, Drew, you know, Drew and I don't spend hours and hours scripting and planning uh, our podcast. It's probably it's probably quite obvious to you. <laughs> uh, so uh, Drew said, you know, what did what did I think about picking some songs from the sixties, which which was actually um, not too bad for me because I, I I had picked all the tracks I wanted to put on our our, our album, which I'm hoping to call Happy Happy Together, which is. Um, Aspen weight, making people happy you see which is a part of uh mm-hmm. the Aspen weightism mm-hmm. um so um ultimately I, I i wanted to think about four songs which were um iconic memorable or meant something to me and or um and the last song we're going to play today um again you could argue um you know marginally a cheat um It was actually written in 1967 and first issued in 1967, but it didn't actually chart until the 70s. And this song, I can't believe it because it's such, to me, it's just, and I think everyone knows this song, it's just such a brilliant song. I mean, again, I think one of your words used earlier, haunting, I think it's a a haunting song. it's uh if you see the youtube video which hopefully they'll play i, I, I hope I'll, make, I'll, I'll point it out to you because it's amazing because if you watch um if you watch this song um on uh on youtube uh, the song is put to uh, a fred astaire musical with a load of uh 30s dancers mm-hmm. obviously dancing to a completely different song but it fits, fits. beautifully oh, I love it that. and it's it's it's, it's uh it's quite, it's quite wonderful, actually. I, I've I watched it many times because I listen to the song a lot because it's so brilliant. Um, so uh, the artist is a guy called R. Dean Taylor, who was born in Canada in 1939, and he's a Canadian uh, singer-songwriter. Uh, And one of the things, the reasons he's he's famous, or 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 people like Drew should know who he is, uh, apart from his great music, is he was the first, and I believe only white artist to be signed to Tamla Motown. So a little bit of um, again a little bit of rock memorabilia history for you. Um, Eventually, I think in 1970. um, Uh, Tamla Motown decided to create a a subsidiary or a secondary label which was called Rare Earth Mm -hmm. which was for their White acts. and Ardeen Taylor became the the lead act on Rare Earth records Mm -hmm. so when this song became a great hit in the UK in the 70s it was actually released on Rare Earth records Mm -hmm. Ardeen Taylor himself um, as well as uh, so all his songs he wrote himself with some with uh, Dozier in Holland uh, who, who wrote all the great Motown hits, you know. Um, he also uh, either wrote or co-wrote uh, a number of hits for other big acts, including The Four Tops and The Temptations. So he's a, a guy who stands up to scrutiny. I think um, it'd be interesting to see whether people think, when they listen to this, whether they would think he was white or black. Um I guess to some extent, uh, I used to think that he was obviously black because I knew it was a sort of a Tamla song, mm. uh, and I'm conditioned to think that, in the same way that when I first heard Boy George, I thought he was a girl.
2: <laughs> and that's true.
1: Mm. I still thought that Tracy Chapman was a girl until two weeks ago when Callum told me he wasn't. Uh,
2: what?
0: Fast Car? No, you, you thought it was a man. Yeah, I thought it was a man, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. Because yeah, Which um, way
0: around is it? Yeah, he, he, is Tracy Chapman's a woman.
2: We'll
0: but around, uh, but it? it sounds like uh, no, it's not
1: way round. No, I think it is. Anyway, this <laughs> I I think I thought she was a woman, but she's a man. That's what it is. No, it is. We'll check this out for you before before we finish <laughs> no, today's no. podcast. <laughs> no, I always thought Tracy Chapman was a woman. Anyway, this has got nothing to do with the sixties. So we'll stop burbling about this. So Arden Taylor. Um, so canadian singer songwriter and despite the brilliance of this song uh, his first number one hit was indiana wants me lord i can't go back there which was number one in america and then he had another big hit called gotta see jane red light green light gotta see jane um so uh you i know, i i'm not overly familiar with the whole catalog of uh music uh you know as far as i can see he's he he basically had three big hits um and and wrote a number of uh hits, uh, some of which are quite well known for other big acts uh I think it's a timeless classic it's again it's a it's a song which is instantly recognizable is like no other song you'll ever hear. I think it's got haunting lyrics. Ooh. Um just just amazing uh I just think it's an amazing piece of pop music. So um it was released in 67 so it's a 60s song baby. Mm. Um so uh, my final track of the 60s today. And I hope, hope also I've picked a, a nice little mix. So, yeah, they've you know, all been it's a, a little bit different. That, that was Quite the intention. I tried to pick mm. four songs that were interesting for people to listen to. And also, obviously, the, one of the things we're trying to do is to educate. Mm. So I'm trying to get over a little bit of rock history about how people may have got together. Mm. You know, how did Bert meet John and so, <laughs> and so forth. So the final track today is Ghost in My House by R. Dean Taylor. Uh, a timeless classic, as I say. And, uh, and enjoy... Hmm.
2: There's a ghost in my house The ghost of your memory
0: Well, that was a beautiful song as well, haunting. Like I you tell say. it was haunting. Yeah, yeah. it was haunting. The, uh, the, the the love lost. I got that that like, in that. Uh, it was about 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 love lost and the memory of that love being in your house, walking around. Can relate to that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry, listeners. I feel sad. I'm feeling a bit sad at this moment. Uh,
1: picking myself up briefly. Um, I think the other thing is, don't you think his voice is very unique? Mm. Very. Uh, Mm. You know, you know, I I I like I like people who who can do things that are different, you know. That who aren't mainstream and they sing with a yeah. certain freedom and difference, you know.
0: Yeah, and the, and, the, and the kind of the saxophones and the, the riff. There was like a riff on the saxophone just over and over again, and it's just really, really cool with his voice. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, because
1: that, that is technically a Tamla Motown record. Mm. But, you mm. know, it, it, it doesn't quite fit into the normal sort of... Uh, I wouldn't
0: have thought that, though. Ain't no. that. Yeah, three, though, yeah. yeah. It was quite a dark song for me. Like, um, like, like very upbeat with the way it was played, but like you say, like what he's talking about and what he's singing about, and the melody was very minor and just like kind of the riff just repeating. There's, um,
1: oh, yeah it's definitely haunting, is the word. I mean, you know, it's probably, you know, in terms of um, somebody struggling to cope with loss, mm. you know, you'd, you'd struggle to get. Uh, a better written song, but it's yeah. it's written in a it's in a, it the backdrop of a what seems to be
0: quite a cheery song. Yeah, you know? yeah. But actually, he's he's talking about ma- major grief. Yeah. Uh, whilst whilst um, and relating that to a ghost is really is really um, I think it's really clever. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. So there we are. So um, that, that was our little
1: tour of the sixties. Um, we're gonna we're gonna um, treat the subjects a bit more seriously in a bit more length uh in future as i say we're um we're going to uh, bring our own little compilation uh called happy together with what what i consider to be the definitive tracks of the 60s anything to say Maestro?
0: no just um <clears throat> if you guys um have any ideas like want to hear me and paul discussing anything on the podcast let us know because we're always happy to hear your thoughts And really hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did, getting getting schooled on the history of 60s music. Um, Of course, I'm far too
1: young to do that, really. I should have my mother here, I guess. (laughs)
2: Of
1: course, the other thing that's quite interesting about the dancing thing, which I could (laughs) totally relate to... Oh, in that video? No, no, I mean, generally, you were talking about um, music being written for dancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Because... I think my father got something right, so uh, it, it, which has obviously influenced my whole life. My father um, isn't someone; he's a traditional man. You know, you, you go into a disco and you stand by the bar. You know. <laughs> um, so, I guess because you're three years old, you haven't really got a lot of choice. <laughs> so, from about the age of three, uh, my mum basically—I say force—that's a bit unkind. <laughs> so, I don't remember pulled you up for a dance partner. I, I don't remember thinking, you know, I don't want to be doing this. So, yeah. I, I started dancing with mum. Um, several hours a week, I would say. Oh wow! From a very early age, so. So you would uh, say that was a
0: part of their um, like lifestyle at that time. We, we would dance weekly. We would dance at eight o'clock this on a is, Monday. This is what I mean. I think mm. it really was a part of people's lives back then. So yes, yeah, so I
1: you know I, uh, so the, the thing one of the reasons so obviously my knees have gone now, but uh, I, I have I did actually win a twisting championship in uh, <laughs> my life, and that's all because of mum. You won't see anyone get down close. I, I can I can stay down half an inch from the floor for a very long time when i'm rock and rolling you know and that's all because of dancing around with mum you Twisting know shout. so um you know so we were you know we were we were dancing to all mum's you know favorite stuff like richie valance and um you know all the all the all the big um, american rock stars uh people like um was well, obviously buddy holly and um i can't think i can't think of all, all, all of the people off the top of my head now but um so, you know, a very, very big rock and roll influence. Uh, so, you know, I was I was gyrating around from a very sort of second nature to me. Um, so, you know, that's probably, you know... Uh, I, I think people that have watched me dance over the years would say I was a very enthusiastic dancer. The only thing that I could claim to be any good at would be uh, twisting, which I am as good as it gets, I would say. Nice. Thanks to Mum. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing I have interest when we talk about dancing, so one of the things that I used to do as well, because... Um obviously mum's name is Scott and my father for many years labored under the misapprehension he was nearly a jock mm-hmm. um so we I also had to do things like the sword dance and scottish dancing so literally I was doing the, oh, wow. uh, <laughs> as well as a young as a young man so had very strong um f- scottish folk music influences Mum also liked a lot of um, jigs and reels, country and western music. So people like Jim mm. Reeves. Oh yeah. Uh, so you know be, that would, that would be the sort of stuff that um, you know we would listen to apart from rock and roll. So yeah. So even I, could, I think even from the age of about fifteen, um, apart from drinking rum blackcurrant uh, <laughs> before, uh, I've always probably you know when I was at university I probably danced for ten hours a week. <sighs> So, anyway, that's
0: that's enough to bore you with that. So, uh, I, I would say I would say that's a challenge this week for for listeners. Have a dance; it'll make you feel good. Seriously, I do think I think dancing is a massively important thing for wellbeing. Well, it was incredibly good for keeping fit. I yeah, can tell you, yeah, um, enjoyment and yeah, it's good. Yeah, thanks, true. <laughs> drew's a lot of
1: inspiration so uh, uh, we're also gonna we're also gonna bore you all to death uh, in the future with a few more drew and weighty renditions together oh which, uh, yeah so you have that to look forward to or go on holiday on a friday we're gonna do it so I leave that up to you have a great weekend oh this is uh are we still live at this point yeah we are ah, so... so this is
0: uh this is a sneak preview of our next hit <laughs>
1: Everybody's talking
0: at me.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, keep it. Keep your eyes and ears out. Keep a face, boys. <laughs> and girls. Thank you.